0: Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast, hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. This episode is brought to you by Altia ABM, a global leader in specialist software for use in the fight against crime and the management of covert and intelligence operations. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Renée Francaire, the editor of Blue Line magazine. Thanks for tuning in to the very first edition of our next exciting venture, podcasting. And this is happening as we're preparing for our 30th anniversary, so it's an exciting time. Joining me today is Mick Creedon, the former chief constable in Derbyshire, England, Mick was the national lead for the police service in matters including serious and organized crime, covert policing, investigative interviewing, money laundering, financial investigation, and asset recovery. He also served as the policing lead in the development of the network of multi-force and multi-agency regional organized crime units. Today, we're gonna chat more about financial investigation as part of the investigator's toolbox as well as enhancing the attack on criminality. This episode will look at what the modern day investigator has to do and can do, including the need to utilize the opportunities offered by financial investigation. And as a side note, myself and Janice Eaton, Blue Line's national account manager, had the pleasure of meeting Nick in Halifax during the 2018 CACP conference this past summer And he certainly kept us captivated with his many stories of 37 years in law enforcement. So I know we are in for a treat today. Mick, thanks for being our very first guest here on the podcast. Welcome.
0: Thank you very much. Great to be here.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, Mick, tell me a little bit more about the overall crime threat and how it's changed over the years, uh, in your opinion, from an investigative perspective.
0: Um, it, it's staggering really to think how it's changed and when I joined as a young officer in 1980 and became a young detective in the early 80s I thought we were busy and I thought we had some big problems but I look back on those were those days really and it was incredibly straightforward we used to have a thing in the UK I know it's around the world as well the, the, the classic victim crime location triangle and it kind of defined how you did things and, and uh, that held good for many years that's all changed, and the days then were very much around burglary, auto-crime, drunkenness, violence, the things that are still around now. But many of the problems that policing over the world now faces simply weren't on our agenda and radar. And if we try to think ahead two or three decades, we'd never have believed what the modern officer is facing now on a day-to-day basis. And that the one certainty, I really enjoyed coming to Canada to this CACP conference. Um, it really cemented what I knew anyway, the problems we face are the same world over. They might change in complexity and volume and language, but essentially across the world, policing faces the same array of difficult challenges.
1: I totally agree. And, and I think that was one of the interesting things when we met too, right? It's it's the problems that you've seen. Uh, we're seeing the same thing. And, and if we can collaborate and, and tackle them together, I think uh, we're going to be stronger overall.
0: Completely, completely. I mean, I used to sit on the Five Eyes um, board In the UK, which is obviously Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, Um, and in just discussing with senior colleagues um, what we were facing, I could have been talking to a chief in a neighbouring force, I really could have been, and again being over in Canada and seeing some of the problems that they face there, there are different difficult problems and different problems, you know, the Hells Angel issue is is far more um, endemic in Canada than it is in the UK, But nonetheless, the the notion of the organised crime element, uh, and we'll talk about how organised crime has more often changed, I guess, in a minute. But that's the bit that seems to me the all-pervasive bit. Uh, and, And it's the bit that's more hidden from the public and hidden from policing in the past. And increasingly, that's where we're having to put our assets to deal with those kind of issues.
1: So what about um, just doing a quick look into the future? What do you see that criminal threat looking like maybe 5, 10, 20 years down the road?
0: Well, I think, as I say, you know, four decades ago, we were all talking about burglary, robbery, theft, violence, some drug dealing, etc. A lot of antisocial behavior and incivilities. And they are still around. We shouldn't pretend they're not there. But we hadn't really experienced the global terrorist threat. You know, events like 9-11 and 7-7 in the U.K., and things like the Mumbai attacks and the Paris attacks have shown us how international terrorism is now here to stay across the world. Um, and again, it varies, and sometimes the ideology varies, but that's one of the big issues that we're all facing and grappling with. But on top of that, now, the kind of problems we're looking at are very much more the drug trafficking, the people trafficking, modern slavery, uh, the explosion of cybercrime, complex money laundering, often using cryptocurrencies. And then more detailed ones, the forced marriage issue, which is uh, a real issue, female genital mutilation. And probably one of the biggest bits that we're all dealing with, which we didn't anticipate, but it was always hidden under the radar, was the the horrific world of child sex abuse, online paedophilia, grooming. uh, And again, I know it's the case around the world, the explosion of historic cases where people are coming out of the woodwork talking about abuse of 10, 15, 20 years ago. So that's changed. Mm -hmm. But again, if you try and project what the future could look like in five, 10, 15 years time, I really have to, you have to think of it in a a virtual world in a world where, you know, the globalization is just not in terms of people and movement, but technology. And the lesson I've learned leading organized crime in the UK for 10 years is that the organized criminal is resilient, they're an entrepreneur, they will seek out the gaps, they will seek out the opportunities. And whether they do that through complex fraud like carbon credit fraud, whether they do it through uh, taxation fraud, whether they do it through the increasingly sophisticated cyber crime, whether it's, it's the, the money laundering and the movement of money through the national systems and international systems, they will deal with that. And I, I think we need to be getting some very clever academics, some senior law enforcement people, some practitioners, and then people from the third sector, the voluntary sector, the business community, to try and look ahead. And I went to a recent conference, um, which was a bit worrying about artificial intelligence and how that's being used uh, very well by companies, by health services, increasingly by law enforcement. But if we're using artificial intelligence to plan ahead and to look for opportunities, so will the criminal. And so the the, the big data issue and how criminals exploit big data, um, for me, is an increasing worry. Well,
1: yeah. It, it... So much happening there. There's, I mean, partnerships we need to focus on, but the technology part, that's a great segue. I wanted to chat with you a little bit more about how um, these types of changes has really influenced, you know, the demands on policing and the role that the technology plays um, in terms of that efficiency uh, today. Let's let's chat more about that.
0: Well, you know what? It was a time, wasn't there? Um, Maybe in the 90s when computers started to to grow and then eventually we got these things we call mobile phones, and we started to look at them and interrogate them. And actually, it wasn't hard to look at because they weren't that big. The memory was reasonably small and not everyone was using them. The problem now is, of course, if we're all walking around with an iPhone or the equivalent, and we've got an iPad and we've got a, a laptop and we've got a PC at home, not only have we got the volume of devices, but the memory is absolutely enormous. And every single person virtually is using one of these. So whether it's a victim or an offender, you've got an imprint which the investigator may need to look at and I think one of the bits that we're seeing is that law enforcement and the whole system of justice and the courts and the prosecutors and defence are being swamped by the mass availability of material which you can use to analyse around what might be a relatively straightforward criminal investigation and certainly disclosure rules I know vary all over the world but the the pre-arrest, the pre-interview, the post-charge, and the trial disclosure legislation often means that there's a duty on the prosecutor and investigator to actually analyse and disclose a vast amount of material, and I think that's becoming a practical issue for officers. In parallel to that, and it can be linked to a whole series of events around the world, um, the technology that the criminal is using is becoming more and more sophisticated and more and more difficult for law enforcement to investigate. And I say that recognising that we all want very safe um, cyber activity for our banking, for our personal activity. But I'm, I worry now that a lot of the apps that people are using are encrypted, that end-to-end encryption, which means they can't be interrogated. And there's a, a seemingly a standoff battle sometimes with the big providers in terms of their willingness to support what we do. And I get completely the liberty versus security debate, but I think there's a, there's a rubbing point here where the public and the state would expect law enforcement to be able to access appropriately with the right authority and with the right justification the devices used by the criminal. And certainly we're seeing events where where terrorist gangs and organized criminals are using incredibly sophisticated um, apps, devices, communication methods to thwart the law enforcement attack. And that for me is a worry. And certainly the workforce mix and the ability of policing and police officers and police support staff uh, will continue to change as we need more and more people with these techno skills. It really is an extremely worrying uh, development, but unfortunately, it's the real world and we have to live with that.
1: Right. Yeah, it definitely doesn't make the investigator's job any easier or quicker. Um, You know, with that in mind, with the investigator specifically in mind and the changing nature of investigations, You know what do they need to add to their toolbox uh, now, so to speak?
0: Well, you know, again, um, I'm relatively old. I'm not that old, but it was (laughs) a fairly simple world many years ago in terms of what you could do. You could talk to people, the witnesses, the victims, the suspects. You you had some basic forensic intelligence, and you had the ability to carry out some human surveillance of some sort, which was quite expensive, quite exciting, and not very successful. If you look now, what's available to the investigator? It's it's really quite daunting, awesome, and and very rich because um, not just have we got enhanced methods of looking at their technical activity, uh, we can look at CCTV coverage, the ability to read number plates of cars, uh, the telephony positioning, there's biometrics, there's facial recognition, and there's a whole mass of data about their private activity, maybe their their banking, their financial activity, um, which can tell us so much about them. And one of the problems for investigators, I think, is almost an overload of intelligence. So increasingly, the ability to collect big data, have big data analytics that can make sense of it, and provide something meaningful for the investigator seems to me the way forward. But again, that comes with challenges because we need technology that can deal with that because it's beyond the human analytical um, capabilities, in my view. Aligned to that as well, um, I think, the bit that I did lead for years, and it was a wake-up call for me, was the potential of the financial intelligence and of financial investigation, almost all organised crime is motivated by profit. They don't do it for other reasons, with one or two exceptions. But it's motivated almost entirely by profit, and that is their Achilles' it's their vulnerability, and often it's the way to start the investigation. So I've I've learnt over the years the power of financial investigation, not just for those who are dealing in organised crime, not just for those who are dealing in profit but sometimes for more mainstream investigations like rapes and murders, and even sometimes to locate missing persons. So I think when you look at the toolbox of the investigator now, it's bigger uh, and it's heavier, more complex than ever before, but the, the essence of an investigation still needs to be that thorough search for the truth, that analysis of the available intelligence and evidence, and trying to make sense with an objective in mind, which is to secure the investigation and hopefully conclude whatever it is that's being investigated.
1: Nicely said. Yeah, that sums it up. Uh, You know, financial intelligence, you brought that up. And I know that comes up quite a bit in your talks. Um, You know, are there some more examples that you can share today with financial intelligence and how it has been maybe the key tool in solving um, some cases?
0: Of course. I mean, everyone thinks financial intelligence. You immediately start thinking about the money launderer and the fraudster and those using complex banking systems, et cetera, all of which absolutely needs financial investigation and intelligence. But um, I did some work here with um, universities and with the the Home Office, looking at the benefits of financial intelligence outside of financial and economic crime. And we found dozens and dozens and dozens of cases. A case in my own force was a very unusual murder, where a 64-year-old lured a taxi driver to a location. He had no criminal history whatsoever. He simply decided he'd like to kill someone he murdered him he shot him and we had nothing to go on um, officers will understand exactly what I'm talking about here because um, what he'd done three months earlier he would purchased a, a dirty phone he kept that dirty phone uh, he did one test call with it and then that was the phone used to lure the victim to the location we hadn't didn't have a clue didn't have a start but what we did we managed to find the phone number uh, we traced it back to a fictitious name he bought it in, which is not surprising. But then we found out where he topped it up, and he topped it up at the same time as he filled his car with petrol using his credit card. That was financial investigation, it was financial intelligence that gave us the murderer. And I, I'm absolutely clear, without that lead, we would struggle to ever identify the individual who committed the offense just for purely gratuitous reasons. There are many occasions like that. We've had rapes where um uh, street rapes in cities, uh no witnesses coming forward. But actually when we've done financial investigation and intelligence and looked at local um, cash machines that people have used, we've actually found witnesses and we found suspects who have been using the cash machine at the material time. You could go on. Certainly we've had a number of occasions where we've been able to use financial investigation through um, companies and what people have bought and purchased in superstores and link that to their, to their activity. So it's it's an endless um opportunity and what i say to lead investigators who don't necessarily understand the world call in a financial investigator tell them what your problem is you're trying to deal with and say what is it you can do for me because too often we bring financial investigators in at the end of a, a crime to go and look at the assets look at the potential confiscation and forfeiture and we don't bring them in at the start and say i have this complex problem what is it you might be able to help me with because you'll probably find the trained fi well, have all kinds of opportunities and knowledge that you don't even think about as a standard investigator.
1: Right. I, and I remember you saying, you know, let's not use the financial investigation element as a, a bolt at the end here. Let's let's use no. it early on um, because you are missing out on so many opportunities when we we just tag it on the end of something.
0: Well, I think whether you're starting a reactive investigation to an event that's happened or it's proactive into um, an ongoing problem and an organized crime group, I think really any lead investigator, Uh, has to look at what it is they're dealing with, what their objectives are and who can assist them. (laughs) So it may well be that at the start, you get your group of experts together, which will be a forensic expert, maybe an expert in, in the cyber world, maybe someone who can talk about the human surveillance opportunities available and the covert policing opportunities. But by bolting in to that group, a financial investigator who will explain banking systems opportunities, as I say, ATMs, the use of credit cards. Um, what knowledge might be available through publicly available systems or privately available systems, there will be opportunities. So you, you're quite right. Get them in at the start and let them explain what they can do as opposed to bring them in at the end to mop up the assets.
1: You mentioned, you know, the opportunities, um, and that's kind of like the positive light, I think, to the changing nature of these investigations is there, there tends to be more opportunities here with, uh, you, you know, you chatted about mass data, modern forensics, so, so tell me a little bit more about what we need to do to kind of unlock those opportunities, because there's got to be a buy-in, right?
0: Yeah, there's got to be a buy-in. Um, and you mentioned very early in this conversation the partnership element. You know, again, certainly in the UK, policing in my early days kind of thought policing for policing and we deal with it all and we get on with it. And gradually we recognize the, the value of partnerships and partnerships is law enforcement partners. But then as you move beyond that, there's the health sector, education, social care. And you move beyond that into the voluntary sector and you move beyond that into the business sector. All of which is great. And then the next great stage is where you start bringing intelligence in from the whole range of partners you have, from the community intelligence you might get. And this is fantastic. But when you start bringing it all together, the complexity is absolutely enormous. And then you look at um, data that's available through social networking that sometimes the criminal, protects themselves very cleverly will put ridiculous things on Facebook and and Instagram it all needs bringing together and the difficulty we face time and time again it is so enormous that we can't actually make sense of it and it becomes very difficult as well as I said earlier in the um, management of the information and the disclosure sense so what we're looking increasingly the issue is how do you have what I call big data analytics how do you actually have systems and processes that can collect the data, that can actually match the data, that can analyze it on the basis of criteria and questions, and actually then take the investigator to the key knowledge points. And it is happening. And you know, technology companies are another group of partners, potentially paid partners, I understand, but they're partners that, who need to know the requirements of the user, they need to know what law enforcement needs in order that the product can actually be designed to meet the operational need. And I think as we go forward, and we talked about the threat in 5, 10, 15 years time, we have to get ahead of the game and recognize um, dealing with the complexity and volume isn't a human task. It's a task that has to be automated and has to be done in relation to the operational objectives, but also recognizing the complexity of the material.
1: Now, I know you also touched on uh, the integrity and the audits around investigative processes um, and the importance there so I wanted to, to touch on that as well today.
0: Well yeah you know um, again I think back to my early years um, and really the the investigations all of which were done properly they could not have stood the test of the scrutiny of the judicial process um, and the defense challenge that there is now. Um, it is absolutely critical that when anything is collected evidentially, there's able to be integrity in that process. And we can actually show when it's collected, who collected it, how it's collected, in what format it's collected, um, and then make sure it, it has that evidential integrity right the way through to the prosecution. Because, you know, we, we we all believe in the need to prosecute bad people, but we also believe the need of, of a very fair, transparent, open justice system. So I think when you're looking at all the things I mentioned, and you imagine pulling it from all the different sources, all of which might have different date stamps, time stamps, different systems, and you bring it together, there needs to be absolute clarity around um, this uh, in order that you know you can actually show the integrity, you can audit where it came from, you can go back to the source document, to the source database, to the source agency, and you don't just actually vomit a whole pile of knowledge in front of the investigator in court but you can actually properly, properly provenance the starting point and the integrity of that collection. I hope that's the kind of thing you're talking about, because
1: mm-hmm. that's
0: how I see it, which is, I say, it's a complex challenge, but it's one we have to make sure we can be ahead of.
1: For sure. And that's the thing, right? There's so many different parcels to manage when it comes to the investigative process, and it's just getting increasingly complex. So we need as much help uh, and collaboration as as we can. So, no, that's exactly what I wanted to touch on. Thanks, Nick. Um, so, you know, going forward, uh, law enforcement, it's complicated. There's small municipal forces. There's the federal force. What yep. would be some of your advice, your tips for law enforcement from those smaller ones right up to something like our federal RCMP here, uh, your advice for how we can drive financial intelligence and financial investigation um, onwards at, at that, that direct uh, level?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I, you know, I, having been across and had the benefit of talking to colleagues at the um, at the conference, I understand the, the differing nature of policing across Canada. And it isn't that different to the UK. Some of the forces are smaller. Um, there are more forces. But ultimately, uh, we're facing the same issues with the same kind of challenges and uh, the same great people who work on a day-to-day basis. I think the key bit for me is... Um, Firstly, recognising the scale of the problem. Now, with this, um, there's just been a, a, a launch in the UK of the latest government organised crime strategy, which I went to. Mm-hmm. And the message in the UK is that organised crime kills more people than terrorism, war and natural disasters put together. That's certainly the UK experience. It is a massive threat. So the first point is, is looking at it holistically with all the partners to understand the nature of the threat. And when you understand that threat, And maybe you bring in things you hadn't thought about, like counterfeiting, like the illegal trading of horse meat and um, like the the new opportunity being exploited about cyber activities and cyber attacks. Look at the entirety of the threat. In doing that, then, we have to recognize the importance of the victim and, and the harm in communities. And having a process which can analyze not only the threat, but the harm is really important because... I would think every police officer is dedicated to protecting the vulnerable, reducing harm and trying to stifle the criminal. Alongside that, and you've heard us talk about the the complexity of investigations, um, make sure that when the starting point comes to investigate, there's that broad approach to what can we do to address this problem. In a medical sense, you know, if someone is, is very ill or if someone's got an emerging health problem, everything from medicine to operations, to physiotherapy, to diet, to lifestyle, to, to drinking, to smoking, should be taken into account exactly the same way for investigations. Take the whole lot into account and try and have a clear strategy about what you're seeking to achieve. And in relation to financial investigation, I think the key bit I'd say there is don't just contain financial investigation to those crimes around fraud, money laundering, uh, the drug traffickers, etc. cetera. Financial investigation offers a whole range of opportunities. Certainly, it can shorten surveillance. It can tell you things about people that you wouldn't hear otherwise. It can give you fresh opportunities that you wouldn't get elsewhere. And at the end of it, it may well give you opportunities for civil recovery, for asset denial, for confiscation, for asset recovery. But financial investigation shouldn't just be about the cash and the assets. It Mm. should be about that broad approach, part of the toolbox, of which one of the products could be. The assets recovery denial attack I hope that's, that explains you know the main thing I've always said to people is don't see it as a bolt-on don't see it as a thing at the end see it as a part of the overall approach and certainly seeing skilled financial investigators who know their trade and know what they can achieve uh, their revelation absolute revelation in terms of what they can bring to an investigation
1: for sure no it's, it's a necessity now nowadays with that digital footprint increasing uh- yeah. Um, and and change is just just happening every day in terms of technology. So thank you for that. Uh, Nick, we're we're down uh, to the final question here. I I'm curious. What is the the one thing if you had to choose one thing that you would want the law enforcement listener to take away from our chat today um, in regards you know to that financial investigation element and and attacking you know criminal finances, bringing down organized crime.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, I've probably said it already, but just to encapsulate it, we know that organized crime is profit driven. We know that vulnerability and their greed uh, go hand in hand. We know increasingly, and there's academic evidence to show this, that financial investigation can bring a whole range of benefits. And we know that taking the criminal asset away not only harms the criminal, and they hate it more than they hate prison, it not only harms the criminal, but actually, That criminal capital, that criminal asset corrupts communities. So, I think, on on the global sense, recognize the financial impact and threat from organized crime, have the appropriately skilled, empowered financial investigators, bring them in as part of the process, and recognize that whilst the product might be about financial recovery, asset denial, asset recovery, uh, they bring something far more. And I think the important bit, as I see this, needs clear leadership. It needs political leadership, it needs executive leadership uh, from across policing and law enforcement partners. And then it needs a skilled workforce on the ground who are actually doing this on behalf of their forces, their communities and the people we serve.
1: Wonderful. Mick, thank you so much for for opening up this dialogue that is critical as uh, law enforcement continues to evolve uh, with the changes in society and beyond. Uh, Thank you, Mick, overall, just for joining us today and your valuable insight. Um, Thank you see this transformation right and and uh, i i think the more we talk about it the, the more we can collaborate and and tackle uh, uh, some very complex issues uh, financial investigations uh, you've shown you know its role is is truly transnational in the policing landscape it's applicable to all levels of law enforcement um, as we collaborate to to bring down corruption uh, organized crime uh, in our global village so so thank you for sharing your knowledge today
0: thank you very much Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. This episode was brought to you by Altia ABM, a global leader in specialist software for use in the fight against crime and the management of covert and intelligence operations.